we will go into John chapter 11, verse 1. Shall we just close our eyes and pray this prayer? Please pray this after me. Lord, open my eyes to see your truth. Lord, open my ears to hear your truth. Lord, open my mind to receive your truth. Lord, open my heart to keep your truth. Let me be a doer of your word and not a hearer only. Let me bring forth much fruit to the praise and glory of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak, Lord, I will listen and obey. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. As I was praying and seeking the Lord for His Word, God gave this Word to us for today. So we're going to meditate on this, um, on the sections that God has for us to meditate on. As we meditate on the Word of God, the Spirit of the Lord will expound what He has in mind into our spirits. So pay close attention to what the Holy Spirit is about to speak to us at this hour, so that His Word may become one with your spirit, and it may produce the fruit of the results that God is looking for. He said, His Word will never return void. Is that an universal uh, or a blanket statement that his word will never return void. And a lot of times people say, well, I gave the word, his word will never return void. You know, that means that person will get saved. Somehow they'll get saved. And, and they have this assumption that God's word will never return void. So somehow things will happen. Somehow it will work out. And somehow somebody will get saved. And somehow there's no such thing as somehow in God's word. If you look throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God's word never returns void, provided the condition for that is met. You look at the sower and the seed parable that Jesus mentioned. The seed is the word of God. The seed was sown. The seed has the potential. The seed has everything that the tree that needs to bear fruit has. However, when the seed does not meet the condition that is necessary for the seed to become a tree. The purpose with which the seed has been sent is not accomplished. So the word not returning void is not something that will automatically happen. Your responsibility in your salvation, your responsibility in the salvation of your children, your responsibility in the salvation of your spouse, your responsibility in the keeping of your own soul is very, very, very important. As we go into this chapter, the Spirit of the Lord will speak to our hearts. It is important for you to be diligent in holding on to what God has given so that you don't lose it. I want to bring this parable to you as the Holy Spirit wants me to. Jesus said this, when the workers worked so hard and they sowed the seed in the soil, in their farm, they were so happy to see something happen, which is the plants grew. 
But along with that, tears also grew. And the workers are like surprised, saying, we only planted good seeds. How did these tears come about? How are they over here? And Jesus said this, the owner of the farm said, the enemy planted it. While you are working, while you are trying to do the right thing, while you are keen on growing your spirit, while you're keen on bringing your family to the throne of God, while you're keen on bringing your spouse to church, or while you're keen on bringing your children, or your grandchildren, or your family, or whoever it is, while you're working so hard to bring your family to God, or bring yourself to God, saying that I gotta pray today, I'm gonna pray today, from today I'm gonna do this, and you're deciding all these things, and you wanna do all these things, maybe you sit down and you write, you know, I have to change, and I need to do this, and all those things, and then suddenly next day something happens. Understand this. While you're working and you're planning, who else is also working and planning? Satan. God is working and God is planning. And according to his plan, his plan will be fulfilled in our lives if we choose his plan and work according to the plan of God Almighty. So what will Satan do when he knows that God's plan for this person is this? In order for this plan to be accomplished, they need to do this. I repeat, God's plan is this for your life. In order for that plan to be accomplished, you need to do this. Satan knows that very well. So what will Satan do? He'll say, okay, if you need to meet this condition in order to get this result, I'm going to make sure that you don't meet that condition. So what will he do? He'll try to do whatever he can to distract you. He will try to do whatever he can to make you sick. Because sometimes there are some people who are very determined that they cannot be distracted. So for them, what Satan will do, he will try to... You know, shoot an arrow. He'll say, okay, let me see. Your legs are really good. Let me give you that pain where you can't walk anymore. You're not stopping still. You're crawling. You're trying to use your hands and move forward. Let me shoot another arrow there. Oh, you're still, even when you're lying down, you're somehow trying to make progress. Let me shoot something else next. He tries to see how he can shut down God's work in your life. But to a man or a woman who is determined to do the will of God, no matter what the enemy may try to do, they'll be set on going the direction that God wants them to, as it says in Psalm 84. Their heart is set on a pilgrimage. Their heart is set on a pilgrimage. That means you cannot shake them from their heart that is set on a pilgrimage. That means I'm going from point A to point B. Nobody can stop me. Nothing can stop me. It's not an arrogant confidence. No, it's a determination, a strong determination to follow God Almighty minus arrogance and pride. Anytime we have arrogance and pride, know this for sure. Your fall is imminent. The next second you'll fall. But if your confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are determined to do the right thing and you make sure, oh, now there's an attack on my leg. That means the enemy does not want me to do this and he's attacking. So I'm not going to give in to that. That's very important. When you are attacked by the enemy, it's important to do the opposite, not to give in to the enemy. When you give in to the enemy, the enemy is very happy. Oh, you want to pray? Let me cause some problems at home so that you don't have your family prayer. And you know what? Many times the spouse feels justified. Well, 
I'm righteous. You are wrong, so I'm not going to pray with you. Guess what? Satan won. Satan won at that point. How? He took you down by your own self-righteousness. He took you down by twisting God's word in your mind. He took you down. He took you down. Now, you become worse than your spouse who actually offended you. Why? Because you didn't have the grace to forgive that person. You didn't have the humility to forgive that person. You didn't have the integrity to do what God has told you to do. So what happens? Because of that, there's a big gap. Satan has his way in your home. Satan has his way in you. Satan has his way in your kids. Satan has his way in your finances. Satan has his way in everything. Satan is very happy. He says, hey, now you can't pray. How are you going to pray? Even if you feel justified and you try to go and pray and everything, that's not going to even reach the ceiling. Understand how Satan can work. When he knows God's plan for your life, he will watch you more carefully. He will study your every single step. He will study your behavior. He will study your weaknesses. And he will say, okay, this is how I'm going to try to get you down. If he is so busy and he's so diligent, keen on making you fall, how diligent should you be? Keen on not falling. When you know that your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, looking to see who he may devour. That means what? He's not going to be able to devour everybody, but there are people who just fall as prey into the mouths of these lions that Satan has placed. Many, many, many lions that are there. Satan and his evil spirits working together. So what God has planned for you, no one can stop except you. Satan can try, but he cannot stop the will of God in your life unless you cooperate with the enemy. So when he plans something and you work along with that, he's very happy. He says, well, you know, for some people, the devil doesn't even have to do much. Because they're always full of pride, always full of me-centeredness. And so small things Satan does, and that's enough. That's enough. That's it. Satan will tell the evil spirit, "Mm, this guy is not hard to deal, deal with. This guy is not a person that we really need to work hard to bring him down or bring her down just do this small thing just poke him a little bit or poke her a little bit immediately oh i hurt you know he hurt my feelings she hurt my feelings or you know they did this to me or they don't understand don't care about me they don't call me they don't talk to me that's enough for those people why because self is big in their lives as a result of that what happened satan is very happy he said hey Easy target. Now I'm able to get them. Don't worry. I don't have to send big demons. Just little one is enough. Just do a little thing. That's enough. They're like people who just look up and say, walk like this with their head up. La, 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 la. You know, small stone is enough to trip them and cause them to break their teeth, break their elbows, break their knees, break their bones. They're not smart enough to be humble to look down to see where they're putting their next foot on. God is speaking to our hearts. We need to be smart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
if you really want to be wise, be smart, the fear of God is necessary. It's necessary. So, have this in your mind as we go into God's word. What God wants to speak to us, what God wants to give to us, nobody can rob it from me unless I forfeit it. I want to say one more thing that the Spirit of the Lord is bringing to us this hour. Esau was the oldest in the family by birthright, legally, and before the eyes of God, he was the one who was supposed to inherit the blessings that God had for him through his family. It was something that was his, rightfully his. But Esau was not somebody who was keen about his blessing and he didn't value his blessings. Because he didn't value his blessings, it was not a big deal. He lived for the present world. He was somebody who cared about his stomach. There are people like that who will be concerned about, how do I look? What do they think about me? How? What do they say about me? Oh, he saw me this way. She saw me that way. They said about this and they told, you know, talked about me, you know, behind my back like this. And I got offended. And if you look at it, how many times that I is that huge capital I that'll stand like the Tower of Babel all the way from the earth to the sky. It's a big, big, big demonic stronghold of the enemy. Lucifer's residence is pride. May God speak to our hearts today. If you're very much consumed with yourself, know that that's your first, first step to a big failure. If your world is about you, what people say and what people think about you, then know that for sure. Satan doesn't need anything big to cause you to fall. That is your snare. The first step that God has spoken to his disciples, to us, is, if anyone would like to come after me, let him, number one, bring down that I. Deny himself. That means don't make yourself into something. Your focus must be Jesus Christ. Don't Live for the present world. Live for eternity. Deny yourself. Because the self wars against the spirit. Because Satan works through that self. Because those who think about themselves and are consumed with themselves. Cannot think about God. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. God is speaking to us at this hour. We need to understand that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a penalty. There are wages that God will give to us. Choose life because the wages of sin is death. That means when you do something, you get a reward. Your reward can be positive or your reward can be negative. Make sure your reward is positive and not negative. Don't live for the present world. Whether you talk, whether you walk, whether you dress, whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you go to a place, whether you pick up a phone, pick up your phone and speak on the phone to a person, it should not be because you want to do that. It should not be because I want them to look at me this way. (coughs) It should not be that I want them to approve of me today. 
whatever you do, whether you dress, whether you eat, whether you talk, it has to be spirit-led. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Mark my words today as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you at this hour. Never fool yourself into thinking that, oh, God is love. Because God is love. I will do whatever I want to do. And I will have God on my side. Because I pray to Him. And when I close my eyes, oh, I will be in heaven. It doesn't happen that way. If we want to be in heaven, walk on those streets of gold, enter through those pearly gates, we must be people who have overcome the flesh. Write this down. If you want to be someone who will one day walk on the streets of gold, you want to enter through those pearly gates, you should be someone who has overcome the flesh first. That's your first step. That's your first step. If you have not overcome the flesh, which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are three deadly things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They're deadly. If you have not overcome that, that should be your main business and your focus. Not what anybody would think. Oh, do they think that I'm a good believer? I don't want them to think that I'm not a good believer. Who cares? What does God think about you? Because He is the one who is grading you. He is the one who will give you that entry into eternity. So it's important if you're right in His sight, you'll be right in the sight of God's people, true servants of God, true people who know how you are, how your walk is. But if you're not right in the sight of God, then putting on a show in front of people will be just fooling yourself. How many of you want to live a lie? How many of you are tired of living a lie? How many of you say that it's okay that I live a lie because I don't want the truth, I don't want to see the truth because knowing the truth about myself is more tormenting than living a lie? Well, this life on this side is very short. This will be over soon. Before we know, before we know, this will be over soon. Once it's over, we cannot reverse that. There's no coming back. Once it's over, there's no reincarnation. Once it's over, we can never say that, well, oh Lord, have mercy on me. I played with you. If Lazarus and the rich man had a chance, And that a chance was many chances while they were on the earth. Lazarus made use of that the rich man did not. Now when the door was shut, what door? Door to this earth was shut. Where once the soul leaves the body, the door to this realm is shut. After that, he either enters, he or she either enters into eternal life or eternal death. Eternal bliss or eternal torment. Think about it for a moment. Never gamble with your soul. That's what Jesus said. What can man give in exchange for his soul? What can he give? What can you give? Your kids are not going to be there. And there are some people who say, Well, if my husband goes to hell, I'll go to hell with him. Oh, really? Hell is a vast sea. Is a place of hate. 
is a place of torment where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So one member of the family goes in there. Somebody said like this, if my dad goes to hell, I'll go to hell too. Really? That's how foolish. The eyes have been darkened. Instead of saying that I don't want him going to hell, I want to go to heaven and I want to take him with me. How foolish and demonic that talk is. May God help us to have eyes to see. There's no fun in hell. There's no family gatherings in hell. There's no husband-wife relationship in hell. There's no one saying that, oh, well, if you're burning in hell, I'll burn in hell too. No. Hell is the place of hate. Every person in hell, they hate each other. They might have done drugs together here. And once they enter there, it's full of hate, hatred. Because they are in Satan's zone. Just like how, remember this, just like how when people enter into heaven, they become like Jesus. The Bible says, God's goal for us on this earth is to make us like Jesus. When we see him, we will be like him. Guess what? That's exact same thing that will happen for people who make Lucifer as their God. They become more and more and more and more and more demonic on earth. When they enter into hell, they become just like the devil. Just like the devil. Where hell is made for Satan, the devil and his angels, all those who worshipped him on this side of eternity become just like the devil, enter into hell, because that is their dwelling place. Where the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. So, the word of God will not return void, when the condition for that word is met. When the ground becomes a good ground, then the word of God will not return void. If not, it's going to go back to the sender. That's what will happen. Jesus said this. It's so important to know the whole truth. There are many people who take one scripture here, half a scripture there, and they think that they know everything. And they make a doctrine out of it, and they talk to people from it, and they write postings on it. It means nothing, because there's no truth in it. My Jesus said this. When you enter into a town, he told this to his disciples. You speak a blessing over the house that you're entering in or the town. You say peace to them. That's God's word. They're saying peace to them because God has told them to say that it's God's word. Now they are pronouncing. Because it's God's word they are pronouncing, that peace actually rests upon that house or upon that town. Not because their words are powerful, no. Because God has given them that power to pronounce peace, which makes, which takes effect in the lives of those people. So when they pray, when they say those things, it really takes effect. When they say, God bless you. When they say, peace be upon you. It actually happens. That's what the anointing does. It's a big difference between one who has true anointing of God and someone who doesn't have it. One who says peace, who has the anointing of God, he brings the real peace upon them. One who doesn't have the anointing of God, they'll say peace be to you, peace, you know, everywhere, peace sign, peace, peace, peace. Nothing will happen there. 
because these are human beings. They don't have the power to make things happen. But God alone has the power to make things happen. So when God gives that power to his people, his servants, who have left everything and followed him and have been trained by him, his disciples, they receive that command from God and now they're going to exactly do it and they go say peace to those people there. Now the people who are hearing that peace or the blessing from the servants of God need to be worthy of it. If they're worthy of it, what will happen? That prayer that was prayed over them rests on them. If they're not worthy of it, what happens? The word of God, what happens? It never returns what? No. It comes back right to the sender. It goes back and it rests on the servants of God. And then Jesus said, shake the dust of your feet and move on. This is how it works. When God speaks to you, that's how God has led me to minister to, to people, to bless them when he tells me to bless them. But on the other side, the other party, if they're not sincere, if they're playing games, if they're talking against the servants of God that God is using in their lives, the blessing is not going to rest upon them. It's not going to rest upon them. It's going to go right back to the servants of God. That's how it works. So we can never say that, oh, I'll just go there and I'll just get my blessing and run away. I'll just go there and I'll just ask for prayer. Meanwhile, I'll say whatever I want to say and I'll be ungrateful, unfaithful, you know, whatever Satan wants me to do. But I'll just come and get my healing and my miracle and, and I'll go somewhere else and do my own thing. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom of heaven. Only if you're worthy, that blessing will rest upon you. Only if you're worthy, the healing will take place. Only if you're worthy, the miracle will take place. So, God's word is capable of doing everything. But are you worthy to receive his blessing? If you're not worthy, then you're not going to receive it. If you're worthy of it, then it will rest upon you. That's how it works. May God help you to understand this foundational principle that God has laid upon his word and has given to us. I pray may the spirit of the living God open your eyes of understanding for you to understand what God is speaking to you at this hour. Having this as a foundation, we're going to go into John chapter 11 for a few minutes, not for too long, for a few minutes. We're going to see what God wants us to see today. I myself, I'm looking to the Lord, is here, what he has to say, because I don't know. I have no message and nothing. I only have John chapter 11, just like how you do. John chapter 11 from verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, therefore, the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I'm going to go back to the first verse, and I'm going to read that again. Now, a certain man was sick. And this man's name is Lazarus, and the town that he's from is also given, which is Bethany. The town of Mary and her sister Martha. That's where all three of them are there. And this man, Lazarus, was very sick. So, the Mary who came and anointed Jesus Christ was the one who always used to sit at his feet and listen to his voice. 
And was that Mary? Jesus saying, it was that Mary. The Spirit of God has us recorded here. It was that Mary, her brother Lazarus. That Mary's brother Lazarus. That means, you know, that VIP's brother Lazarus. There's a difference here. Two sisters are there. One brother is there. Where? Both the sisters are from the same town. That's mentioned. But one person who sat at the feet of Jesus, that person's character, that person's... I'm muting Prashant. So, this Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus, who heard his voice, who had the revelation of who he is, and who went and did his will. The Spirit of God has recorded that here. This Mary, her brother Lazarus. God didn't say that, well, this Martha who cooked every time, her brother Lazarus, no. When you do the will of God, when you do the will of God, not what you want to do for Jesus. A lot of times people say, this is not my interest. This is not my area of interest. This is not where my talent is. This is not my field. Doesn't matter. Has God called you to do something? Has God called you to do something? Be faithful. It is God who calls you to his service to do what he wants you to do. Not whether you like that or not. A servant is called to do the will of the master, not the servant's own interest. We're not here to serve ourselves. Oh, how does it make me feel? This makes me feel so good because I really enjoy what I'm doing. We're not here to enjoy what we're doing. We're here to do the will of God. That means it will cost us. That means it'll be something new. That means it's something that we don't know how to do. That's where God will grow us. What happened here? Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus, who listened to him, who did what he told her to do, in spite of all the people who just look at her. Oh, Mary, what in the world are you doing here? You're making a scene over here, no matter what they said. She was not moved by it because her heart was, this is what God wants me to do, and I'm going to do it. Even if they mock me, this is what I'm going to do. So Mary... This is not the mother of Jesus. This Mary is Lazarus' sister, Martha's sister. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, whose brother Lazarus, was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now this is the statement that both the sisters sent. To Jesus, that they were able to say, Lord, a brother whom you love, he's sick. Imagine how much time Lazarus spent with Jesus, nothing recorded about that. But one sentence here says very clearly, Jesus loved Lazarus. Lazarus loved Jesus. Jesus loved this family. Nothing was mentioned about uh, their parents. 
It looks like they were orphans. They didn't have parents. Only three siblings. But they knew how to honor God. Among those who knew how to honor God, Mary really knew how to truly, truly, truly honor God. One says, I want to make this best food. So Jesus really likes this food and it's about how can I do this for him because this is important. I feel that this is important. There are people who say, this is a very important ministry. I'm going to do this because I feel that this is important. Well, what you feel is important may be unimportant to God. What you feel that you can really do it, I'm talented in this area, but why am I being given this? Is not of concern to God. God, who sees the end from the beginning, He will see each and every person, and in order to prune them, in order to grow them, in order to refine them, in order to bless them, He will lead them into new territories, new zones, new areas. I lead the blind by the way that they do not know. Along unfamiliar paths, I will lead you, God says. That's who our God is. If we do everything that we know, then that's not real ministry. Ministry is an area of challenge. That's why we depend on God and we completely come to a place of zero not knowing what to do in depending on God for everything. When we first started ministering at the nursing home, these nursing home that we went to in Middletown first was so, so smelly. It's like you can almost smell depth. Very bad smell. We took our children, the elevator itself, we felt like we were going to throw up. It was so bad. We've never done this before. God told us to go and God showed me in the vision that God is going to take us there. And God opened the door for us to go there. Just as God showed in the vision, there were people in wheelchairs that were coming. Exactly as how God showed. We were not able to take the snot. In the elevator, so we started saying, Jesus, give us grace. Jesus, give us grace. We had the children. It was the first time. As we went inside... We saw people coming in the stretcher, people coming in the wheelchair. And this is not the way that we have ministered before. That's Pradeep and I, we have been ministered in colleges and, and in churches in different places where when you speak, people will respond. There's a totally unresponsive crowd. Where the people are there, people with tubes and they can't open their mouth and they, you know, half of them look like they are, you know, having their eyes closed and maybe drugged up and sleepy. And then you have some of the people coming there screaming, well, get these people out of there. And, you know, they're evil spirits working too. And people screaming, saying, close your mouth, all kinds of things. So even if you try to sing or try to say a word, say even hi, the response is either they don't respond or you get a rude response. That's how it was the first time. God took us into an unfamiliar territory, not a place where we'll feel um, comfortable. No, not something that you know. Not like, oh, you go in front of students, oh, children, or adults, or college, or business people. It's different. This is a non-responsive crowd. And a handful of people who kick and scream. That's how it was. 2012, beginning. March, I believe. 
And we went in. It was brand new for us. God had us begin. As we began singing, those who started screaming, God started shutting them down because the presence of God started coming down in that place. Those who looked like they were drugged up, their eyes began to open. God started touching the people. Suddenly, they started becoming alert. They started listening. Before we knew, they were looking forward to us every week coming there. People that we didn't know, we didn't even know how to minister to them. God took us to that new place. And all we had to do was depend on God. So Lord, we don't know anything. We don't know how to minister. We can't even stand there. But as we asked God to give grace, God took away that smell. That smell was so bad. The smell didn't completely go, but we didn't vomit. God gave us the grace. To an extent, he subdued that smell. We were able to be there. And God helped us to serve him. Many gave their hearts to the Lord. Three nursing homes we used to go including an university, on one Saturday, three places we used to go and alternate between three nursing homes and university every other week. And Pastor Padip used to run to work. It was not an easy thing, coming from work and doing these things and going back to work. But God's grace was there. The reason why I'm saying is to encourage each one of you. Be faithful to God in the little things God gives you, and those little territories will be uh, an unfamiliar area, a path that you don't know. You won't even know how to even deal with these people. How can you even make them understand? How can you even give the gospel to them if they're all drugged up and, and some are screaming in? What are you going to do? But God did a mighty work there. We started taking tambourines with us. People who can't even move their hands. With one hand, they started getting it. They started using the tambourine, shaking. People started singing. It became like a little church every Saturday. Many gave their hearts to the Lord. Many gave their hearts to the Lord. God came there in a powerful way. He broke that silence. Soon the staff members started coming. and They started dancing and they started worshiping God. It was such a beautiful thing. For a season, the Lord had us there to serve Him. Whatever God gives into your hands whether you know about it or you don't know about it. Do it with all your heart unto God because He is the one who's calling you and He's saying, I will teach you. I will train you. I want to take you into a new place and I'm going to equip you. Why? Because He's testing your integrity and He's growing you in the process because it involves faith. When we enter, that we need a faith that this dead place will come to life because the Spirit of God will work in that place. And it did. It happened. Our God is real. He's so real. He's an awesome God. So Lazarus, who was the friend of Jesus, according to Mary and Martha, became sick. He was very, very sick. And Mary and Martha reached out to Jesus, saying, This Lazarus whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. There are many reasons why sickness come to people. There are sickness 
that Jesus says in his word, come to people as a result of sin. Their sickness that God says in his word happened because of trials that we see in the life of Job. There are sickness that are allowed by God that comes to people for the glory of God. Like in Lazarus's case, and like in blind, Bart- uh, not Bartimaeus, um, the blind man's case, where he was born blind, and Jesus healed him. When the disciples asked, why is this person blind? Is it because, why was he born blind? Is it because his mom sinned, his dad sinned? Is it because his parents sinned? Jesus said, no, 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 it's not because they sin, because it is for the glory of God. So if someone comes and tells you, well, if you're a child of God, you should never get sick, because sickness is all from the devil, and God's people will never get sick, that is not biblical. There are certain times God will allow his people to go through a path for greater glory, God's glory. There are sometimes people go through sickness, the majority of the time, many people, because of sin. But God's people go through that path just like Lazarus had to go through. Just like Lazarus' sisters had to see him suffer and even die. Why? Because something greater was happening. This blind man who was born blind was blind for a long time. He had to go through that suffering. Why? Because God was going to show that he is God in that place. That God is even bigger than someone who is born blind. We also see our God, when he does something, he does it with a purpose. So we may have to go through a certain path, just like Lazarus' sisters and Lazarus who went through suffering. Job went through suffering. He watched his children die, funeral after funeral after funeral. He saw his house collapse, his children's house collapse, I should say. His body full of sores. His wife turning against him. All his friends accusing him. Even the little children in the street despised him. Everyone deserted him. For a good amount of time. It was a test that he had to go through. God rewarded Job in a mighty way. God rewarded Lazarus and his sisters in a mighty way. Our God is a God of purpose. If he leads us through a bitter path, then there's glory that is waiting. He leads the blind by the way that they do not know. Who leads? God leads the blind by the way that they do not know. So he leads us into trials. Jesus said, Pray this way, lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He's teaching us to say, Lord, whatever is not necessary, whatever I should not be going into or going through, Lord, keep me away from that. God leads us into necessary battles, necessary trials. We need to pray unnecessary ones I should not go through, Lord. I should not go through. Lazarus' sickness was appointed by God so that the people may know the power of God's resurrection, the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, even before he rose again from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. Praise be to God.
Jesus said this, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. If someone says, oh, sickness is from the devil, all sickness is from the devil, that you shouldn't be sick, you shouldn't be sick for this long, those are not the words of God. Different reasons are there for different kinds of sickness and for different types of people. People like Lazarus, Mary and Martha who are dear to Jesus, God led them through the path where the sickness was prolonged, where the time of God, the timing of Christ coming to heal them was not instantaneous, was delayed. Where the situation got worse before his glory came. We must keep these things before us and understand God's ways are very different. He cleansed the leper like that. He just did it. He said, it is my will, be thou made whole or be cleansed. And the leper was cleansed instantaneously. God works that way. He's all powerful. In Lazarus's case, he chose not to. Well, if he could have said one word to the centurion for his servant, how much more he could have said one word from where he was to Lazarus so that Lazarus got well the same moment. He could have done that. He could have done that. Well, he did that for the centurion. He could have done that for Lazarus. And Mary and Martha didn't wait till the last second saying that let's try all the herbal remedies and let's try all of this and now Lazarus is about to die and they sent word to Jesus. No. Lazarus was sick and they sent word. He's really, really sick, Lord. So, he heard it. He could have delivered at that second. But he chose not to. Understand this. God is speaking to our hearts today. We might have prayed and prayed and prayed for a certain thing. We might have asked God for something. Oh, Lord, we are praying for this. We want it right now. And all those things. And God heard all of that. That he did not give it to us that moment. Why? It was something far more glorious. We need to have a better understanding of the scriptures. It's important to understand what God is speaking to us at this hour. Every situation is different. Every trial is different. The glory after every trial is different. When the trial is intense, the glory will be far greater. When the glory is far greater, trial will be very intense. Job's trial was very intense. Job lost everything. Imagine how it would have been. Not one child, all his children. His property, everything he had. He is very sick, head to toe. The Bible says his bones were melting on the inside. Not only sores, he had so much more going on in his body. With all of that, his wife is like, there's no comfort. It's not like his wife is coming and saying, let me just put some, you know, you know, cold compress on you. And let me just, you know, try to, you know, make something, you know, to put on your skin. And let me be there. No. She is frustrated. She became bitter. A mother who saw the death of all her children, who saw everything collapse. Now she's seeing even her husband. Oh, we don't see that anything happened to her. The trial was for Job. Everything was shaken that could be shaken during that time. Let me tell you, with all of the Job worshipped God. Every single time he worshipped God. 
husband and wife, mother and father, they're going through the same thing. Except Job's was much worse. Because Job is not only seeing the death of his children and experiencing emotional agony, mental agony, his heart is broken, everything is gone. But Job himself is inflicted with sickness and wounds and sores from head to toe. His wife is not going through that. He's in such a worse condition. But his wife comes there and she's telling him, curse God and die, Job. What's the point? Who's working through his wife? Satan is working through his wife. Satan not only killed everybody and destroyed everything, he found a good candidate. Someone who would become a tool in the hands of Satan to bring Job down. But Job was not brought down because he was faithful to God on the inside. Integrity was there in the midst of everything. In the midst of everything, Job held on to his integrity. Then his friends came. They're all very spiritual. Oh, Job. Job was the richest person on the face of the earth during that time because God had blessed him. Now the friends are coming. They're all coming and advising Job. They're saying, Job, maybe you should do this. And Job, this is happening because of this. And oh, you should be doing this. Or you should have done this. And well, you need to repent this way. Maybe you need to pray this way. And they're all coming and advising who? Job. Imagine how Job would have felt. But Job was a man of character. Nothing moved Job. His heart was broken. He was hearing accusation after accusation after accusation after accusation after accusation from his friends who were his friends for so long. Still Job held on to his integrity and he did not deny God. Guess who showed up? Job's best friend showed up, God Almighty. He showed up and he rebuked Job's friends for coming and speaking. Not God's words, but Satan's words in the form of spiritual truths. They were not spiritual truths. They were all speaking. Everything sounded right. You need to examine. You need to do this. You need to do this. You know, you're not doing this. You're probably not doing this. And you know what? If you've been doing this, this wouldn't have happened. And according to their books, everything looked right. But according to God, it was all wrong. Because Job was a man who walked with God. The end will tell always. When a righteous person is walking with God, the end will tell. Job's end spoke. God himself came and rebuked all those people and said, all of you, close your mouth and listen. I apologize to Job. You better do it. Job has to pray for you until then. You're not getting well. Because God's wrath has come upon all of you. That means God was going to do something tremendous. Job had to pray for his friends. God gave Job the opportunity to forgive. When Job forgave, when he prayed from the bottom of his heart, something happened suddenly. All of a sudden, his chains were loosened. Suddenly, his captivity was turned around. Suddenly, God blessed Job. So before, Job could pray for them. They had to repent. The friends had to repent. God came and dealt directly with those people. And God blessed Job. If you look at Lazarus' life, 
Lazarus went through much suffering. Lazarus was sick. The blind man was born blind. Job went through physical torment. So it was not only Job who was sick. It was Lazarus who was sick during Jesus' lifetime. It was the blind man who was born blind because it was God's will for him to be blind for that long, to be born blind for that long. So someone comes and says, well, it's not God's will. It shouldn't have happened. If you're walking with God, you have to step back. Just step back. If you're walking with God, if you're not walking with God, and the Spirit of God comes and speaks through a servant of God saying, they examine your life. This is why it's happening then. The best thing for you to do is examine your life, set right with God, repent, and God will bless you. But if you're really walking with Job, walking with God like how Job is, not according to your own righteousness saying that, oh, my sin I justify. God sees it all. But if you're really walking with God and you're going through a path of trial, know this. God himself will come and defend you. If you seek God and you humble yourself and you hold on to your integrity, God himself will come. That's what happened to um, Lazarus. Jesus could have just said a word and Lazarus could have gotten better today. But you know what? It wouldn't have brought God's glory down to where he was. The agony was much. The sisters had to cry much. He had to go through much pain. Jesus didn't say anything from there. But Jesus himself came. Jesus himself stood near the tomb. Jesus wept for Lazarus. Wept for his sisters. He was moved on the inside. That's how much he really loved. Now, not only did his sisters say that he um, loved Lazarus, but everyone saw that Jesus loved Lazarus. See how much he should have loved him. He's crying for these people. Our relationship with God should be like that. Even though God may allow us to go through agonizing paths, God is not rejoicing in seeing us suffer when you are suffering for righteousness' sake. God will agonize seeing you suffer. But there's a glory that is coming. God has brought us into this month of August to show His mighty hand. This month is a good month, a blessed month. A month where God will do many more wondrous things. But it's important for us to have this in mind. He knows the path that I take, as Job said. After he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He was able to confidently say that. That there is an end to this trial. Look at Job's faith. An Old Testament saint. He was an Old Testament saint. Way before anyone would have entered into any kind of covenant with God. Job had such faith. He said, after he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. Think about it. For him to even have that hope that, that this will be over, that there's an end to this, and there are good times for me that God has. 
a man, a man of faith, the true servant of God, a man of faith, a man who walked with God, who knew his God. Jesus Christ, the resurrection and life, who raised Lazarus from the dead, had a specific path, path marked out for Lazarus, for Mary and for Martha. He came, he himself came, and he rose Lazarus from the dead. Many people got to see his power, and many believed in him. When God wants to do something big in your life, he will lead you through something difficult. The children of Israel went through the Red Sea. Before they went through the Red Sea, they had to stand in front of the Red Sea. As a result of the ten plagues, as a result of God destroying the enemies, the Egyptians in the middle of the Red Sea, when they went to wage war against people in Jericho, Rahab, a citizen of Jericho, says this, My people, their hearts have been filled with fear. Because of what they heard about how your God did to the Egyptians. In order for that to happen, in order for them to be able to inherit Canaan that God had for them, the enemies and people far away need to witness the power of God Almighty. For that, Pharaoh had to come after them. The Red Sea had to be before them, and God had to do a miracle here. Whatever your path is, whatever you may be going through, whatever I may be going through, God's word is the very same God who loved Lazarus, who loved Martha, who loved Mary, who loved that blind man, who loved Job. He loves us. He loves you. You need to be encouraged tonight. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Make sure you're on His side. That you are for Him and not against Him. That's the key. If you're for Him, that means you're faithful to Him. Then He'll be for you. He will come and do great mighty things for you. He Himself will do it for you. If you're not for Him, then the Word of God will not accomplish the thing that God has sent it for, but it'll go back to God. It'll go back to the servants of God. It'll go back without finishing the purpose. May God help you to be of those who would be ready, a ground that is ready, a ground that is fertile, a ground that is good, that would receive the seed, that would keep the seed, that the birds of the air won't eat it, that would grow into the tree of the plants that God wants you to be, and to bring forth much fruit for His glory. Shall we close our eyes and look to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. It's 9.37 at this hour. We're going to just pray for a few minutes. God is going to be...
speaking to us during the next several days, I believe, but from what God has spoken to us today. There are many living truths that God has brought before us. Whatever He has called you to do, be faithful. Whenever He is calling you to do something, know that it's not about you, it's about the King, and we're here to serve Him, not ourselves. Jesus said this. Jesus said, The Son of Man came to serve and not to be served. It's not about when I do something, how many people like me, how many people appreciate me, I'm not noticed, I'm not appreciated, nobody's saying anything about what I'm doing. Oh, those all demonic. We know what happened to Talia. If we're here so that I can be seen, I can be heard, and I can be appreciated, and, you know, I want to devour everybody so that I become that big monster in the house of God, then God will make sure that God will destroy that monster because in God's house, God is the king. We must have integrity in our hearts. consecration in our hearts, minds, and bodies. And we need to have humility, true humility, to serve Him. We need to be people who wait on Him. Wait on Him for what He wants us to do. Not that I want to become this and I want to do this. What do you want me to do, Lord? Prepare me. Prepare me. I will do what you tell me to do. Shall we close our eyes and look to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. You've spoken at this hour. We've listened I pray you take this word, Lord, that you've spoken deep into the hearts of your people. Strengthen them, Lord. Encourage them, Lord. Comfort your people, Lord. Pour your strength into them, Father. Fill them with praises, Father. Fill them with praises, Lord. Help you people to be content in doing your will. Let no one seek to serve themselves. May they only serve you. Lord, I pray that you bless our church in this month of August. Work in us by the working of the Holy Spirit all the more. Prepare us, O Lord, for what you have for us. We just want to do your will. Prepare your church, Lord. As you're going to do great and mighty things in the days to come. Father, build your kingdom upon this rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you magnify Jesus. Thank you for what you spoke. We give ourselves over to you. 
Continue to speak to us, O Lord. Continue to speak to us, O Lord. Bless us, Lord, in this month of August. All the more that we may study your word, that we may live in your word, we may rest in your word, we may become inheritors of your word, Father. That your word may set us free from everything that is not of you. As Job, the righteous man of God said, He knows the path that I take. He knows the path that I take. Hallelujah. Help each one of your people to say that. That he knows the path that I take. Hallelujah. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I pray your blessing upon your people. That they may continue to understand the eternal things of God. That they may continue to understand your holy ways, O Father. There's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to sow and a time to reap. I pray that you bless your people, Lord. That they may know what time and what season they're in. That they may move with the Holy Spirit. That their faith, O Lord, may be strengthened at this hour. Whoever is sick, O Lord, whoever is in pain, whoever is going through bodily affliction, affliction of the mind, affliction of the spirit, they may consider what you have spoken today. I pray may your people repent where repentance is needed. May your people be encouraged where encouragement is needed. That they may know that they are walking with God. Then, the trial will bring forth God's glory. We thank you, Father. Thank you for every step that you have ordained First to walk in. There are no miscalculations with you. And I thank you, Lord. So as a servant, standing in the presence of God, before the throne of God, according to the power and authority given to me by the Almighty God, Father, I bless your people at this hour to inherit this word that you have spoken, O Lord, that they may take to heart what God has released into their hands that their lives may change all the more to reflect the Savior for this I ask in Jesus name Amen Amen Thank you Lord Thank you Jesus May the Lord bless us and keep us May the Lord cause His face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon us and bless us with His peace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit rest and remain with us all 
now and until we see Jesus face to face. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.